Chapter 4 Battle Plans Friday, 19 June, 1970 The Getmo Crew USS Card Pierci, U.S. Coast Guard Yard, Curtis Bay, Maryland, 0800 The plans for identifying and managing in turbulent times were complete, and drills were scheduled to test them. Next on the agenda was the Getmo Exercise Crew schedule that specifically detailed each day's movements, moorings, and activities. The captain had ordered the XO to activate all officers to report Friday, 19 June, to go over the Gitmo schedule. The officers were assembled in the wardroom, each in their assigned areas. The table was covered with white linen cloth, with the ship's seal embroidered in the center. At the aft end of the wardroom was a counter where fresh hot coffee, cold drinks, and snacks were always present. Some of the senior enlisted, whose jobs were critical to the operation, were invited. They sat in chairs along the bulkhead. When all was settled, the captain entered. Attention on deck, cried the XO. Everyone sprang to their feet. Be seated, captain said. Commander McCormick will tell us about the crew we're going to pick up in Norfolk and Mayport. Lieutenant Commander McCormick turned his attention to a stack of papers in front of him. He handed a pile to his left and another to his right. Yeoman Williams was sitting just behind him on his right. He turned to him. Okay, Yeoman Williams. Who are we getting from the other reserve units for our Gitmo crews? Yeoman Petty Officer First Class Williams had the files. He opened the folder. The reserves for our own ship's company that did not sail with us to Norfolk will join us there. We will also take on eight enlisted and a doctor in Norfolk and five enlisted in Mayport. He consulted his list from the binder and identified each person who was coming aboard and their duty assignments. Lieutenant Junior Grade Foster Gilliam will be joining us in Baltimore on 10 July. You may remember he visited the ship back in March. He's, uh, he's one of the ready reserves out of Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. He shipped over from inactive reserve to ready reserve just February, and he doesn't yet have a billet there. He is presently teaching 10th grade world history in New Jersey, but he will join us for the annual active duty requirement. He served two years active duty on board the USS John R. Pierce, DD-751. He was a deck and weapons officer. And will assist Mr. Hooper with the deck assignments. He was a qualified driver, and all he needs is some reorientation, and he'll be good as a conning officer on the card. Great! We could use another conning officer on this ship, said XO McCormick. Mr. Goldsmith put him on the con and OD schedule. Wasn't he the guy that gave that gung-ho speech about the crew being responsible for the reputation of the ship? asked Lieutenant Rubal. The very one, Mr. Hooper answered. Everyone nodded approval. Since no further comments seemed to be in evidence, Yeoman Williams continued. We will also get Engineman Second Class Mike Brewer. He spent two years reserve duty on the Orion, a submarine tender. He's from Wheeling, West Virginia. In civilian life, he's a machinist and he owns his own job shop. This guy can make anything or fix anything or retrofit anything. Nice going, Williams, said Chief Gruber. I wish I could take the credit for this one, Chief, but he applied late for the two-week cruise, and all the other ships in the reserve division had all their machinists that they needed. So, we got him. He consulted the next page and continued. Gunner's mate, second, Phil Northwood. This will be his second trip with the Res Desron 34. Lieutenant Grubal has him assigned to the after-gun mount. That was his GQ station on the Lansing. Comrades Desron Sorensen himself assigned him there. We will have GM-1 felt from the regular ship's company on the forward gun mount. We needed another experienced hand on the after-gun mount, the weapons officer injected. 
Lieutenant Gruval offered the roster for the rest of the big gun crew. She turned her attention back to Williams, and he continued. We are scheduled to get Charles Sandlin, first-class photographer's mate. He paused and scanned the roster to see if he had missed anyone. Did I mention Lieutenant Commander Mark Johnson? He will be our doctor and will come aboard in Norfolk. Williams consulted his notes again. We will also take on hospital corpsman. He is HM1 Christopher Harris. He's a paramedic. This guy is a real hero. He served with the Marine Detachment in NAM. He was awarded several medals for bravery. You're amazing, Williams. How do you get such outstanding people? Hooper asked. Come now, Mr. Hooper. If I told you my secrets, all the magic will be gone from the mystery surrounding my job here. I'm led to believe the less I know about your magic, the better we all are, said Mr. Hooper. Williams continued. Robert Benson, third-class personnelman, will come aboard in Norfolk. He works part-time for Commander Richardson, the Navy liaison officer at McGuire Air Force Base. He's a desk jockey. He goes to a community college at night. It seems the commander was not happy when he put in for his two weeks required active duty somewhere other than his office. So from what I get from my contacts, he, uh, he pulled strings to get himself assigned to a small ship headed for Gitmo. William shook his head and frowned. Yeah, the unofficial orders were from Bupuris to put him somewhere where he will be glad to get back to McGuire. In spite of all we can do, the brass decided the worst they could do for him was to give him to us. What are we going to do with him? Well, sir, we have only one billet open, and he doesn't even qualify for that one. Unless something can be done, we will need to put him on the forward gun mount. Now, wait a minute, said Chief Gunner's mate, Osborne. Phelps will have my head. She put in for a qualified seasoned E-4 or, or, or E-5 gunner's mate. Now, you know her. She's a stickler for correctness, accuracy, and detail. Look, if you stick her with a desk jockey with no gunnery experience and no sea experience, she'll make all our lives miserable. The chief's right. We don't want to make her unhappy. She's our ace gunner. We're lucky to have her, added Lieutenant Gruval. Mr. Goldsmith spoke up. I was under the impression that she was transferred here after being fired from three, no, four ships because of her bad attitude. Lieutenant Gruval spoke in the Phelps' defense. She made first class E6 in record time. She really knows her guns. She has never been insubordinate. You know how it is with dedicated people like her. There's a right way, the wrong way, the Navy way, and her way. Her bosses on the other ship wanted her to do things the Navy way. Her problem is she's had a lot of bosses, but none of them were ever her master. On this ship, that competence and independent attitude is needed and will be rewarded. I would worry more about Benson working for Phelps. I hear she can be a real bear, said Mr. Winthrop. Listen, I know this guy, Commander Richards, said Williams. If he can work for him, he can work for anybody. What else? asked Lieutenant Commander McCormick. There will be about ten other reserves just out of boots be sent to the mess decks and the deck force. The yeoman closed the binder. The exo closed his binder and turned his attention to the captain. Well, captain, that's our team. Good. See to it that the new people are brought up to speed with the plan. Deliver the necessary training. It's imperative that each department works together in a seamless, coordinated effort, not only in the war operations, but also in the daily routine. We'll be graded on every aspect of the ship's activities. The executive officer scanned the officers and chiefs. His facial expression was signaling that he had more to say, something that needed to be heard. And since the crew is supplemented with sailors who are not familiar with our equipment, there will be some serious indoctrination and testing on the equipment. 
You're correct, Commander, said the captain. And we need exerted coordination between departments, and I can't express enough how important teamwork is to the success of this mission. The commander called an end to the meeting. Friday, 19 June, 1970. The Gitmo Crew. USS Card Pierside, U.S. Coast Guard Yard, Curtis Bay, Maryland. Each officer received a black loose-leaf binder that contained a copy of the battle event schedule. These plans outlined in great detail the battle drill and qualifying operations for each department. He passed them around. First, let's take a look at Section 1, Norfolk. Here we will be joined by the other ships from Res Desron 34. The first week of the cruise has taken the ship to Norfolk, where we are to take on stores and fit out for the Gitmo experience. Say, Williams... Do we have a sufficient number of crew from our reserves? Uh, we have a little bit better than the third, Commander. The other reserves of the ship's company will meet us there, and we will take on some other reserves from various other reserve units. We will be there for three days. Then it's on to Mayport, where Res Desron 34 will join up with Res Desron 35 and Res Subron 5. This will be the complete Res Des Div complement. The entire division of eight ships will convoy to Gitmo. Both Res Desdiv 5 and Res Desron 34 will have their flag on the Lansing. While in Mayport, we will take on some more stores and some more reserves. He turned the page. The others followed suit. He thumped the page with a pencil. Next, we'll look at Section 2, entitled Gitmo Cruise Itinerary. He waited until the personnel present had turned to that section. I know you can all read but I want you to hear the same thing at the same time, okay? He began to read. We will shove off at 0530, Sunday 12 July, heading south to Mayport. We will be in normal cruising condition with all ships, plan of the day, in effect. The schedule will include the regular chow schedule with the exception of breakfast, which will begin at the usual time at 0700, but it will be extended until 1000. He arranged himself on the chair and continued. Just after clearing the channel, approximately 0700, we will run 4 hours at flank speed to see how the cart is running. At 1100, we will reduce that speed to 12 knots and remain at that speed en route to Mayport. He looked at everyone to see if he could sense some faces with question expressions. He saw none. We're expected to arrive at Navy Base at 0800, Monday, 13 July. We will anchor out just outside the destroyer submarine piers and we'll wait for the USS Lansing and the other Res Desron 34 ships to come in. We will all berth at Pier 4. Once the other ships are in their assigned positions in the nest, we will weigh anchor and berth in Pier 4 at the end of the nest. We will pick up a doctor, a corpsman, and six enlisted in various ranks who are scheduled to serve their two-week active duty. And, of course, the rest of our reserve ship's company. We will also take some stores and some movies for the crew's entertainment. He peered over the attending officers and chiefs and turned the page and waited for them to do likewise. We will depart Norfolk on Wednesday, 15 July at 0600 and arrive in Mayport at 1100 on Thursday, 16 July. We will pick up some more enlisted and perhaps another officer. We will join Res Desron 35 and Res Subron 5 in Mayport. Once in the convoy, we are expected to keep up and to enter Gitmo in formation. There will be no excuses. If something goes wrong and we can't keep up, the card will be dropped from the exercise. He cleared his throat and continued. We will depart Mayport at 0600, Friday, 17 July, and our ETA in Gitmo will be 1000, Saturday, 18 July. We are required to be at our berth at 1100. Do you know where we'll be on the nest? asked Lieutenant Hooper. 
Probably at the end, he said, directing his eyes toward the questioner. We will spend the remainder of the day preparing for the drills, which will begin Sunday, 19 July. The drills will run Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, July 20, 21, and 22, and Thursday, 23 July, will be spent evaluating our after-action reports and those from the exercise team. We'll make provisions for the necessary corrections and send that report to Comrades Desron. We'll take on live ammo for the firing range exercise off Dominica, and we'll leave Gitmo at 0600 on Friday, 24 July, and make our way to Ocho Rios, arriving approximately 1200 on Saturday, 25 July. We will need to anchor out and take Liberty launches to the beach. Liberty will be port and starboard. The port watch will begin Liberty at 1300, ending at 2259 on Saturday. Sunday, 26 July, we will call Liberty for the starboard Liberty party at 0800 Monday, 26 July, ending at 1800. We will make preparations for getting underway on Monday, 27 July at 0600. Will we need some line handlers? asked Mr. Hooper. We have made arrangements to anchor at Reynolds Mine Harbor. It's just a short distance from there to the city, said Mr. Goldsmith. We also have several rooms at the Ocho Rios Resort, and they have given us access to the beach area and the swimming pools. We have two rooms reserved for the enlisted and two for the officers if they want to hang out there for a while and change into their swimwear. We leave at 0600, the XO continued, to proceed to live fire target area 100 miles west of Dominica. Tuesday and Wednesday, 28-29 July, will be spent at sea. Our ETA at the range is 1800 on Thursday, 30 July. We'll commence live fire drills beginning at 0800 on Friday, 31 July. Once we reach our target range, we will send over some hedgehogs, depth charges, and conduct surface-to-surface gunnery exercises with targets we brought with us. Also scheduled are torpedo runs, using a different set of targets. We only have a limited amount of live ammo, so we need to make every one of them count. Sir, will we be at general quarters during this time, or is it just for the weapons crew? asked Lieutenant Grubal. Good question. We'll consider this a weapons exercise, so no general quarters. I think CIC and Damage Control have scheduled some departmental exercises for that time. Is that correct? Mr. Hooper and Lieutenant Sterling nodded their heads in affirmative. They all turned the page, and Mr. McCormick began reading at that page. We are expected to secure from live fire practice session at 2100 on Friday, 31 July, and immediately head back to Gitmo. He turned the page. Saturday, 01 August, will be at sea, our ETA nav base Gitmo, Sunday, 02 August, at 800. We will make our reports and unload the ammo we may have, take on some more stores and fuel, then we'll head out to Mayport on Monday, 03 August. He paused in order for his listeners to digest the information, then continued. Our ETA in Mayport is 1800 on Tuesday, 4 August, where we'll drop off sailors who came aboard in Mayport. It's a designated drop-off and delivery area. There will be line handlers available at the pier. We'll drop the brow and allow our Mayport people to go ashore. We have one hour there, then we'll proceed immediately to Norfolk. He paused, took a deep breath, turned the page, and directed his attention to the next schedule sheet. In Norfolk, line handlers will be there at 1800 on Wednesday, 5 August, at Pier 4 to drop off those who came aboard there. The drop-off and pick-up pier is similar to the one in Mayport. Again, we have one hour. Then we'll set sail as near 1900 as possible. The XO paused. As everyone turned the page, he looked around, then continued. We were scheduled to arrive back at our home port at 0900 on Thursday, 6 August. We will spend Friday, 07 August, squaring the ship, examining lessons learned, 
and set up training for each department. Drills will secure after lunch, approximately 1300 on Saturday, 8 August. Officers and chiefs will meet to discuss the crews and prepare agenda for our September drill, based on the lessons that we learned at Gitmo. Officers and chiefs will be dismissed after the evening meal at approximately 1700. Questions? Comments? Anything? There were none. Friday, 19 June, 1970. Gitmo Combat Exercise Schedule Meeting. USS Card, Pierside. U.S. Coast Guard Yard, Curtis Bay, Maryland, 1000. Now we turn to our attention to the Guantanamo drill schedule binder, said the XO. He removed the binders from the box at his feet and handed them to the officer on his right, who then passed them around the table as each officer took one. There were enough for the invited senior listed as well. This binder outlines the events the card and other ships in Res Desdiv 5 will engage. As you see, this information is provided by the Combat Exercise Planning Unit at Gitmo. Now, once in Gitmo, we will undertake the first day of the drill with the Amberjack. Oh, this should be a morning to remember, said Mr. Hooper. I hear they're the foxiest submarine in the U.S. Navy. Maybe the foxiest submarine in any Navy, added Mills. In any case, it will surely be an experience. Lieutenant Commander McCormick continued. Few ships have ever found the jack on the first day, and no ship ever gets away from it the first day. You can expect to be sunk within the first few hours of the drill. Combat, you will have a real job on your hands. With the help of Jaworski, our local Gitmo expert, we've been practicing some pretty difficult scenarios, said the CIC officer. I just hope one of them will be a tactic the Amberjack uses. Very good. I also know that you've been working on some offensive tactics as well. Just keep in mind, Lieutenant Sterling, the executive officer interjected. This crew does this every day, and they know all the tricks. It's not a failure or a disgrace to get sunk at least once during the exercise, but I know you and your crew want to find it and help the torpedo crew and the depth charge and ordnance to get her. I know you'll do your best, and I believe your best will prevail in spite of this fox. I have heard the word fox and jack often spoken about the amberjack and its crew, but I think a better word would be owl, said Lieutenant Sterling. The owl is a wise bird, to say the least, but in the case of the amberjack, it applies in a different way. She had everyone's attention. The owl is credited with having wisdom, but the owl is just an efficient killing machine. It can fly nearly silent due to the tattered fringed feathers, and it can exert 400 pounds of pressure at the tips of each talon. And like the owl, the jack does not exhibit wisdom so much as instinct and training from day to day, year by year. In spite of the card's dubious reputation, we have the talent on board this ship to outwit the jack. They're used to their prey following a set pattern of defense, and they know what to do with predictable behavior. I think we can defeat the jack with unpredictable behavior. The officers in chief who had been there all nodded in agreement. Mr. McCormick continued. Well said, and I hope you're right. Now, as you can see, this drill begins at 0900, so we'll pipe Reveille at 0500. 0600 will be the morning meal. Then we will muster at 0730. The umpires are expected at 0600, so we'll be prepared for GQ after muster, and we'll go to GQ on the first sighting. So the morning just mostly games with the Amberjack. Is that correct? said Mr. Hooper. Correct. He turned the page. On day two, the morning will begin with anti-submarine warfare 
but the afternoon will contain a series of air attacks from the adversary aircraft. We can expect uh, strafing by fighters and several bombing runs. Should be interesting, Lieutenant Grubal. This will be a real test for your AA batteries. All aircraft will, no doubt, come at us all at once from every direction. It'll be a real test. We've practiced for this event, but this will be the first time we ever get a chance to do it for real. You and Lieutenant Sterling will have your hands full. Along with the tactics used to combat the submarine, your gunners and torpedo crew will be graded on how well they handle the routine portion of their job. You'll find a complete agenda packet for the torpedo crew, the gun crews, and the depth charge crew. For the sake of clarification, notice the section on torpedoes. The ladies fingered through the files and their briefcases to make sure they were there. You'll be graded on when to use the straight line and the offset methods. There are other items here, but be sure the crew is well trained in plotting the basic speed or vector triangle of the torpedo fire. They'll be very tight on grading the representation of the intercept problem in which the torpedo is directed along the correct course to hit the target. We will take some time to practice these items on the way to Norfolk and Mayport, said Lieutenant Grubal. Friday, 19 June, 1970. SWOT and Strategies. The management team assembled once again to continue the planning meeting. When all was settled down, the captain entered. Attention on deck, cried the XO. Everyone sprang to their seat. Be seated, the captain said. Now, he said with a smile, it appeared he was about to segue into another topic. We have acquainted ourselves with the Gitmo activities. This is a good time to develop our strategy for the exercises. He nodded to Mr. McCormick, giving him the sign to pull out the stack of yellow notepads inside the cordovan leather binder. They were passed around the table and to the invited senior enlisted as well. Most of you have industry management experience as well as military. Anyone want to share your definition of strategy? No one seemed inclined to take on the question. The captain turned toward Mr. Gilliam. Mr. Gilliam, you were involved in a strategic planning for the Atlantic and Pacific Paper Company, were you not? Yes, Captain, but only as an onlooker. I provided the, the higher-ups with the benefit of my thinking and assisted with uh, setting objectives for satisfying the strategy of top management. How one defines strategy is how one develops and implements it, the captain said. Did they provide a definition for your use? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They fixed it indelibly in our brains. Will you share that with us? Strategy, as they defined it, is a general plan directed toward a desired outcome under conditions of uncertainty. Plan identifies several objectives which must be met at certain times against certain standards. The methods for accomplishing those objectives and the implementation of those methods are the responsibility of the department heads. Hmm. The captain stroked his chin. That's a good one. Mr. Alexander decided to offer one. In the LDO class on management, we studied strategy by Dr. Vladimir Kling, that's K-V-I-N-G. His definition was finding and formulating and developing a direction that will ensure long-term success if followed forcibly. Yes, I'm familiar with Dr. Kling, said the captain. Mr. Winthrop added his definition. At the academy, we use a consistent pattern of advance to ensure victory with predetermined outcome. <laughs> the captain chuckled. At the university, added Ms. Gruvall, they told us it was basic rules for normal operations established by an entity to ensure organizational consistency. Well, these are all good definitions, the captain smiled. Miss Sterling raised her hand and spoke loudly and defiantly. 
I'm going out on a limb here, but I think we should want to sink the Amberjack, make fools of the Hammerhead and the Redfin. I think the major outcome of our strategy plan is to restore the card's reputation and go back to Baltimore, as Mr. Gilliam once said, in glory. There, how about that, she said triumphantly. Everyone smiled, amused, but hardly willing to accept her grandiose thoughts as achievable. Well said, Lieutenant, the captain said, smiling in her direction. He then set his attention to the group as a whole. I have been going over our Gitmo strategy and given it a lot of thought, the captain began. And I've decided that our strategy will be a full-court press. By that, I mean we will take a proactive, offensive action against the adversary forces from the start and maintain that offensive to the last shot fired. The officers looked around at each other. Their physical expressions betrayed their thoughts, bewilderment at the very idea that they could attempt such a strategy without making bigger fools of themselves than they already are. Miss Sterling's expression showed her complete disbelief in what she heard. She thought she could do it, but did not think the captain or anyone else would think so. I know, the captain said into a tone that he addressed the crew's unspoken trepidation. I know that seems a bit unrealistic, considering the card's poor reputation at present. But consider this. We're no longer the carp. We have come a long way since then. The adversary force is not expecting a real fight from us, and a clever strategy is to attack the enemy where he feels safe. Sir, I'm with you, said Mr. Winthrop, but just how do you propose to maintain the aggression when they catch on to our strategy and unleash their vengeance on us for being so belligerent? And you know they will. Just one clever move to thwart our audacious actions, and it's Katie bar the door. The captain raised his eyebrows ever so slightly, turned his head and his eyes towards his executive officer. Commander McCormick turned his attention from the captain and addressed the officer corps. We will expect each division to design tactics specific to their own area of responsibility for addressing the combat realities they expect to encounter and devise a plan for a proactive approach. The captain and I fully expect that there will be times when we will be on the defensive, but we want to see a tactic for recovery in advance. You're familiar with the phrase, the best defense is a good offense, and that phrase, you can't win without an offense alone, there must be a good defense that can recover the ball and advance it to the team's advantage. Well, that is what we will expect. It may very well be that the adversary force will begin the engagement with the ball. It may very well be, in the analogy, believing that we will be the defensive from the start, but we will have a plan to steal the ball right away and put them on a the defensive. They may be so steeped in that's the way we've always done it, or that's the way it always happens, that they may be in a quandary as to how to recover without retreating. There were smiles all around, but no one really expected they could pull it off. That's a good strategy, Mr. Winthrop interjected. But let's be realistic. This is what they do. Mr. Winthrop, the executive officer, was a bit perturbed by his navigator's comments, but he showed almost no irritation. In a way, he was pleased to have this objection in order to address it. Two-thirds of this crew has Gitmo experience. More than two-thirds of this crew are seasoned sailors. Every officer on board and every senior enlisted is not unfamiliar with the Gitmo exercises and what to expect. The management team realized that the two top managers were serious. There may be some of our shipmates who don't think we can pull it off. 
Let's take a look at what we have going for us and going against us and just see what kind of a chance we have during the exercises. He removes his foot from the bench. Let's examine our strengths and compare those strengths to the task of taking on a submarine. Name one of our strengths. Well, I can certainly identify several, says Ms. Grubal. For the past three months, we have been drilling constantly and doing our job. In order to do that, we need to do it in a matter of seconds. We aren't there yet, but by the time we get to Gitmo, we'll be able to do it in our sleep. Next, we have the undisputed highest rank gun battery instructor in the U.S. Navy, and she's brought us all up to a level of proficiency that nearly exceeds Navy standards. Give us another two weeks, and we'll exceed those Navy standards. We can set time and roll out depth charges in less than five minutes. And a few times, we did it in under three minutes. Our hedgehogs have never missed an application. I can only vouch for the weapons department, but we can put up a fight. A fight the adversary will not expect. Okay, Miss Sterling spoke up. I'll give the weapons their due. And we can boast of a CIC ASW attack team that can track and report without a miss. At least no misses in the past three weeks. And if that were not enough... We have Jaworski, the undisputed champion Sonarman direct from the Gitmo Adversary Force. I can almost guarantee neither of those subs will surprise us. We have a top-notch communications officer, CIC and weapons officer. We have an engineering officer who knows DEs better than any officer afloat. Our XO is experienced in Gitmo operations, as is Mr. Hooper, Mr. Gilliam, Mr. Alexander, one-third of the regular crew, and two-thirds of our senior enlisted reserves, the captain boasted. And if I may add, added Chief Gruber, everything works, and all our equipment and systems are operational. You may add, Chief, said the captain. Now let's look at our weaknesses, or the disadvantages we have concerning the events of our objective. Where are we not competitive with the adversarial force? Sir, if I may, said Mr. Alexander, the adversarial force is actually forces plural, and includes at least two, sometimes three, submarines, not the least of which is the Amberjack. It also includes two surface ships and a squadron of bomber jets and helicopters, and well-trained communication unit, and other scenario coordinators, umpires and evaluations, all well-trained, well-coordinated, and since they do this every week, every day, with a new group of ships, they rarely make a mistake. Their job is to win each event and evaluate how each ship in the squadron in the test group fared against the naval combat standards. That includes how they perform when sunk or damaged, a situation that is expected and provided for. No one escaped those three or four days without suffering humiliation, and if all that was not enough, or not bad enough, those who score badly must go through it again. Usually when a ship goes through an exercise, they qualify in three or four days, then they go to Liberty Port. Sometimes if they don't qualify in that time period, the Liberty Port time is spent in Gitmo correcting mistakes. To add to that, Captain, said Commander McCormick, there is no experience coordinating the movements and battle plans with ships in Comres Desron and Comres Desdiv. Admiral Pulaski and Captain Sorensen may have experience with the other ships in the division, but the card is an unknown element and not highly regarded, so we're not sure how much attention they will give us in, that, in the heat of the battle. It was Mr. Winthrop's turn. While many of our ship's company have Gitmo experience, only few have done it on the card. Hmm. We're up against it. Now let's explore some what I would call opportunities. Those elements we can exercise that will allow us to exploit our advantage. 
In other words, what opportunities are available to us? What can we foresee that we have that may give us a fighting chance or a competitive edge? There was silence for a space of 30 seconds. Each person present tried to think of any unique advantage they may have available in their department. Well, I can think of one, a very important one. I don't think anyone here is aware of it, but I think it's time the ship's company was enlightened, said the captain's chief of staff. Ladies and gentlemen, our captain has had several weeks of on-the-job training in ASW warfare. I mean on destroyers hunting and engaging submarines, and on submarines hunting and engaging in destroyers. We are all aware of the captain's learning abilities. He was trained by the best submariners and destroyer men in the U.S. Navy. He has been privy to some tricks of the trade picked up over the years and hoarded by those experts. There, shipmates, is one very strong advantage. We have the opportunity of witnessing those arrogant champions in the adversarial force having to deal with the expertise they do not expect. We will have them on the ropes in no time, going back to the drawing board to figure out how to handle us. That was very good news to everyone. The captain took it all with humility. Thank you for your vote of confidence, Mr. McCormick, but you're too complimentary. You give me a great deal to live up to. I suppose our best opportunities lie in the fact that we have a reputation of being a ne'er-do-well weekend warriors on a rusty tin can known as the carp, said Mr. Winthrop. Let's identify any threats or elements in the event of the environment that could cause trouble for us in these exercises, said the captain. By environment, said Mr. Winthrop, do you mean political elements or physical elements or unforeseen elements? I would say yes to those two elements, and yes to any other circumstance that may interfere with our achievement in the exercises, the captain said. Mr. Falk took his turn. Let's be realistic here. The opportunity Mr. Winthrop has identified is an exact opportunity, but it's also a threat. I have been to several of these Navy games, and I'll tell you the political climate is against us. The adversary forces will not sit still and let us win. The umpires and the evaluators will not permit any ship, especially this ship, to prevail in any present event. You can bet once we score a few times, and especially if we score because of some clever offensive tactics, they will begin to disallow depth settings, range and trajectory settings, and who knows what else. They will throw stuff at us that we're not on a drill schedule. We should rethink our objective and just be satisfied with qualifying like any other ship. That's considered a win for any ship on the line, and would be a remarkable win for the card. Everyone present, who was at one time fearful of the Gitmo exercise, began to believe they could do what Lieutenant Sterling offered as an objective, only to be deflated by Mr. Falk's venture into political reality. You certainly have a point there, Mr. Falk, the captain agreed. But let's just take a reading here of what we have discovered. Our strengths are well known to us and unknown to them. Our weaknesses are the same as any other warrior entering the combat against an unknown foe with vague rules of combat. I like your attitude, he turned a smiling face to his CIC officer. I like your attitude, and your suggested objective represents your general frame of mind. I think Mr. Fox being realistic, but because we know that, we can prepare for it. He turned back to face the audience at large. Let's win with clever tactics, valor, and implementation of our strategy, and the related objectives each department head develops, employing knowledge, skills, and abilities, coordinated with all the departments in this magnificent vessel. I would be perfectly satisfied to lead this ship in battle 
and make a grand impression on our adversaries and our bosses on the Lansing. Miss Sterling provided her now expected enthusiasm. You have to admit, it's a stretch, but not out of the question. I think we can do it. My CIC group knows what they can do. They just need a lot of practice between now and then. Well, maybe not a lot. Maybe just some. And if anyone still doubts Lieutenant Grubal's gun and ordnance crew, it's because they have not paid attention. Personally, I can't wait to get started. Good. I'll expect to see your tactics and drill plans before we shove off. We will spend the time between here and Gitmo refining the tactics, as our practice drills indicate, said Mr. McCormick. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, the commander continued. It's late. Let's adjourn for today and meet here again at 1000 tomorrow. Chapter 4 Executive Assessment Assessing the Probability of Success in an Organization's Endeavor Pay attention to the meeting the captain had with the officers and chiefs on the mess deck. His analysis was usually a system geared toward the assessment of the probability of the card's success in the combat exercises. The captain was unofficially conducted a SWOT analysis. An SWOT is a structured planning method used to evaluate the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats when considering some new, unique business activity. The technique is credited to Albert Humphrey of the Standard Research Institute, now known as the SR International. The SWOT system identifies the internal and external factors that are favorable and unfavorable in achieving the objective. SWOT analysis is a powerful model for many different situations. The SWOT tool is not just for business and marketing. It can be used to assess the possibilities of the probabilities of almost any unknown objective. To reiterate, SWOT analysis may be used in any decision-making situation when a desired objective has been defined. SWOT analysis may also be used in pre-crisis planning and preventative crisis management. SWOT S stands for strength. Those are characteristics of the business or project that give it an advantage over others. The W stands for weaknesses. These are the characteristics that place the team at a disadvantage relative to others. O. Opportunities. Elements that the project could exploit to its own advantage. And T. Threats. Elements in the environment that could cause trouble for the business or the project. The original SWOT analysis suggests we start with an objective. If the analysis shows the objective cannot be attained, another objective is selected that can be attained, according to the analysis. Users of SWOT analysis need to ask and answer questions that generate meaningful information for each category, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, to make the analysis useful and find their competitive advantage. One way to utilize SWOT is what Humphrey calls matching and converting. Matching is used to find competitive advantage by matching the strengths to opportunities. Converting, says Humphrey, is to apply conversion strategies to convert weaknesses or threats into strengths or opportunities. If the threats or weaknesses cannot be converted, a company should try to minimize or avoid them. Analysis Analysis may view certain factors as strengths or as weaknesses depending upon their effect on the organization's objective. What may represent strength with respect to one objective 
may be a weakness or a distraction or a competition to another objective. Each identified weakness, opportunity, or threat should be clearly defined and planned strategies to overcome or to implement the identified circumstances that can be developed. In using SWOT, care must be made not to demoralize those who are making the analysis and that they may give up on a project because the weights are too heavy in the negative. On the same line of thought, users should be careful. The analysis does not always allow for moving forward on a project that looks promising but cannot work due to insufficient evidence or negative factors. One way to ensure this does occur is to have clear strategies developed for each item in the SWOT process. We were privy to only a small portion of their analysis, but enough to get a fair understanding of how the system works. Consider each segment the captain asks about and consider what you know about the ship and its crew so far and identify any other items within those segments that should be added to the analysis mix. Strategic Planning Normally, you would expect the captain to have a strategic plan before now. And in fact, he did have a strategy, but it was not announced until now. One can see from the actions the captain took up to now was to bring them to a point in their renewal activities where they could experience successful outcomes to their drill exercises. Every action taken up to now required them to develop plans that tested each crew member's competency and resolve and initiate drill exercises to sharpen those skills and instill confidence in themselves and their shipmates. No organization can expect to operate without an overall strategy outlining the mission or the reason for the business existence and why they do business and how they do business, with whom and where. Each department has an active role to play in seeing that their part of the strategic plan is carried out on a daily basis and that it's attainable. Measurable objectives are set that will ensure a successful outcome. When tactics are in place that state specifically what action is to be taken in order to meet those objectives, we can now move forward. Anyone in management that is not able to make this contribution must be trained or removed from this level of responsibility. Effective organizations will devise plans for identifying possible competitive threats and devise a system for dealing with it. In the military, there are S2 officers in charge of intelligence. Many organizations in the competitive market system will have such reconnaissance methods to detect what the public and their customers need or want in order to have plenty of time to gear up for it. In a civilian organization, an S2 will also provide discovery information on what the competition is up to in order to stay ahead of the competition. I do not necessarily recommend sending spies into competitive operations, but there are ways in which pertinent information can be discovered in order to plan for engaging in R&D, for developing needed new products or markets before the competition discovers, or in order to produce a better product or market than the competition is planning. Does your organization have an S2? Should there be one? What are some ways a company's S2 can make these discoveries? How bold is an acceptable method for securing this information? Of course, there will be political elements and unforeseen elements that will threaten any good strategy and support tactics. You can bet once you score a few times, and especially if you score because of some clever offensive tactic, those with political clout will throw stuff at you that is not on the level. But if you have prepared, 
you have a good strategy and workable tactics designed to accomplish every aspect of the strategy and get this as far as possible secure your own political alliances one whether an organization or as an individual executive defending against political adversary must not just take a defensive stance but a proactive offense in order to thwart the attack and expose the other for what they are hopefully destroying their credibility and thoughts of trying it again it is amazing to me how self-important executives will attempt to dislodge effective executives for their own self-interest at the expense of the organization or the morale of the crew the officer corps had to admit it was a stretch but not out of the question anytime you're up against a formidable foe that has been here before you must be brave and have a good attitude command axioms ponder and deliberate before you make a move never begin a battle until you count the costs if you are ignorant of both the enemy and yourself you are destined to be in peril the best defense is a good offense but you can't win with offense alone there must be good defenses that can recover the ball and advance it to the team's advantage a clever strategy is to attack the enemy where he feels safe the belief that that's the way it's always happens is the most effective approach to a battle that has been fought before and will bring operations into a quandary and with very little opportunity for escape